How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball, episode 54 with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson. And before we get into what we're drinking, our throw it back and chug stat of the week, May 12th, 2012, so a decade ago. Luke Hochaver, remember that name from the Royals, goes seven strong, gave up just three hits, one walk, no runs, had five strikeouts, helped lead the Royals to a shutout win over the White Sox as he beat Chris Sale. And the reason I bring this up beyond just the fact that, you know, that's, I guess, interesting, Luke Hochaver beat Chris Sale. Hochaver was the number one overall pick in the 2006 draft for the Royals. And, and look at this Look at this line of first-round picks that the Royals used. So they did the next year take Mike Moustakis and then Eric Hosmer the next year, which you could argue because those guys were picked two and three. You could say, like, well, we probably wanted a little more. Like, you'd want, like, a multi, multi-time all-star at that high of a pick. But, you know, they were key cogs, really good players for – you know, a handful of years, helped the team win a World Series, go to two. So you can't complain about those picks. But here are the, the first-round picks since then. Mike Montgomery, or, or I should say from 2008 to 2012, Mike Montgomery, Aaron Crow, Christian Cologne, Bubba Starling, Kyle Zimmer, and three of those five first-round picks were top five picks. I mean, talk about missing on a bunch of draft picks. Yeah, that's the scary thing about, you know, prospects and – and trying to, you know, make them to be something that maybe they're not necessarily. And I think the Royals have had a lot of issues. I, Bubba Starling's one that I distinctly remember hearing all about, that he was going to be a stud and uh, that he was really going to blow up. You can make the argument, I mean, Brady Singer hasn't really done much either, and he was a, a top pick for them as well. So it, the Royals have done a really poor job at that, and it's a little surprising considering, you know, they were so good at it for a while. Uh, thus the reason why they had their World Series run um, back in 2015. So they, they actually did very well at drafting prior to that, it felt like. But lately, it's just not been the same storyline, um, unfortunately, for them. So kind of tough. Makes them have to probably drink a lot more than the average front office. 
Well, what would you be drinking if you were the Royals right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm literally drinking what the Royals are drinking because they're clearly not paying much for guys. I'm going with classic Bud Light. Um, yeah, that's, that was the best transition we could ever come up with. This is uh, the sound of uh, opening probably what's valued to be like 25-cent beer that they charge a dollar and 25 for. Um, it's literally like getting a can of soda, and it's half water, it feels like. But, yeah, welcome to Bud Light. Um, dilly dilly, Derek, what are you drinking? I am drinking a red orange, although I think it might be pronounced red arranged, like, or I'm sorry, re-oranged, rearranged. Um, it is a beer from Walnut River Brewing Company, which is, you know, okay, so like in Colorado, they had a place called El Dorado. There's a place in Kansas, it's the same thing, El Dorado, but they pronounce it El Dorado, and I yeah. don't know if that's just Kansans mispronouncing things, because they do that all the time. It's the I've bumped thing. into enough Kansans that pronounce Illinois, Illinois, with the S. So, I don't know, but either way, it's from there. It is a, uh, it's an IPA with hints of orange in it. Does it taste good? That's actually very good. That is very good. I, I said last week my, my beer was a single. It was fine. I don't know that I'll you know, go out of my way to get it again. This I would go out of my way for. It is delicious. You don't really get as much of the bitter taste of the IPA. You just get some of the like – it's more of like an orange bitter taste, so it's, it's a little more pleasant there. I, I actually really like this beer. Um, so that leads us into our MLB beer pong where you hit one of your two cups last week. You got a little uh, fancy with it. You picked the Dodgers to beat the Cubs. That happened. They, they swept the series, but you only picked the, the regular series. And then the other one you picked, you picked the sweep, not in the Dodgers one. You picked it in the Yankees one. They won two of three, didn't sweep. That was for the bounce attempt to get two cups. So I'm down to having nine cups left on my side of the table. You have ten. That means it's my turn. You don't get your balls back. Uh, and That's here's the worst I'm sentence ever to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am taking, for my uh, MLB beer pong picks, I'm going to take Houston to win their series at Washington. Uh, the Nationals, not very good. The Astros, very good. So I just will easily go with that one. And then I'm going to go Colorado against the Kansas City Royals. The Royals are in a funk. They can't hit the baseball, which that should help their playing in Coors Field. But the problem is the Rockies are just better at it. And, you know, I look at these pitching matchups. Um, Kyle Freeland versus Zach Granke. Now, in theory, that would favor Zach Granke, but Zach Granke is not getting any strikeouts right now. And that's fine when you're pitching in Kauffman Stadium and it's a billion feet out to left, right, and center field and the ball's dying and everything. But when you're playing in cores, you're giving up some of these contact plays. Like, those are going to turn into hits in that, that one. Uh, I actually like what Daniel Lynch has shown, but uh, kind of the sinker pitch, which he uses a lot, it's not going to break as much. And then you have Austin Gomber versus Carlos Hernandez, who struggled and been a fly ball pitcher, which isn't, I don't think, going to go well in Coors Field. So I'm going with Houston, Colorado. I'm not going to guess a sweep in either one, though. I, I like the Houston at uh, Washington just because you have the, uh, the rematch of the World Series right there, too. Um, that's kind of intriguing from 2019. Uh, I, uh, I hope, number one, that you don't get your balls back. Um, that's, that's step one. Number two, yeah, the Colorado-Kansas City series is interesting because – I do think that they're kind of relatively, you know, the, the Rockies should be favored in this, but there is the chance that somehow, some way, the pitching still goes awry because it is cores and there's chaos at cores. Uh, if there was a series out there that I would have chosen in addition to those two, because I think those are both great choices, the Brewers at the Marlins, the Marlins have looked terrible and the Brewers have looked really, really good. Their pitching is lining up well. That's another one that probably was, I would assume, appealing to you too. But I, I like your picks, but I hope you don't get your balls back. 
Okay. Um, We're going to get onto our segment for today, which is uh, goes right in line with what you're drinking, the Bud Light. It's just generic kind of brand beer, whoever you want to you call it. And I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and, and this will relate to what we're going to do here in the segment. Like, what is the most basic of all booze? What is the most basic thing that you could go to, you know, a bar in the middle of nowhere and say, do you have this? And they'd probably have it. And the answer that kept coming in my head was just, like Bud Light, which is like a cheap domestic beer or something like that. It doesn't drink off, today. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't pop off the page. Um, it doesn't really stick out, but, you know, it's still beer. It's still booze. And so we're going to take a look at some of the worst teams in the MLB, and we're going to see where the value is. Because the beauty of baseball is that even the bad teams are going to have guys that have to play a lot and have to find production that make for maybe some sneaky fantasy pickups or – maybe some underrated players. And so although they might just kind of feel like that generic beer where there's not a lot of excitement for it, nobody's really getting jazzed up about it, it might end up being the best bang for your buck. So we're going to go through some of these teams and each pick a guy that we really like is that we think isn't really sticking out. So like, for instance, you know, when we do the Baltimore Orioles, you don't pick Cedric Mullins because he does stick out in his own way. We're not going to pick Boston, by the way, because so many other guys are household names, but they've been really bad. Um, but yeah, let's let's start with Baltimore. Who is your cheap brand beer on Baltimore that you know maybe isn't sexy, maybe doesn't light it up, but it's good bang for your buck? Yeah, I mean they, that's kind of the definition for them. I would say Ryan Mountcastle is probably my pick right there. You know, he actually offers a decent amount of uh, value in terms of power. Uh, he has thirty plus home run potential, but. For whatever reason, I don't think people necessarily sit back and, you know, covet Ryan Mountcastle uh, as a guy to put in the heart of your order. But, I mean, the production has always kind of been there since he came up in the league. So I would say that, you know, he, he's kind of more on the back end. He's roughly pre-ranked in Yahoo leagues at 122. Um, but so far in the year, 268 average. Uh, his on-base percentage is basically 300 at this time, and he's slugging 400. So it's not like he's tearing the ball, the cover off the ball by any means, but he does offer you kind of basic statistics uh, when it comes down to that. Okay, I, I want to make mention of Jorge Mateo because, you know, if you're in a classic 5x5 five five league, um, yes, he's, he doesn't have great slash line average. He doesn't hit for a lot of power, all that stuff. But he gets a lot of playing time. He can help you with hits. And if you're in the 5x5 five five league, you know, if you're in a bigger league, seven or eight, where there's more categories, the, the impact of steals becomes lessened because now it's one of eight or whatever as opposed to one of five. But in classic leagues, steals are so important. He already has nine steals on the season, and because he's going to get a lot of playing time on a bad team, he's one that I would highlight in kind of a, you know, if you're in a 12-team league or more with, like I said, kind of your standard five-by-five five categories. Uh, I think there's a lot of pitchers, though, that – are kind of classified into this for the Orioles. And there's not really any guy that I'm about to say here that's like keep them in your lineup always. But like in the case of Bruce Zimmerman, he's got a 2.67 ERA right now. Tyler Wells is a 3.75 with a low whip to this point uh, in the season. You see Keegan Aiken, who I believe is a former uh, highly rated prospect. He's got an under two ERA. Like some of these guys are, are players where, you know, if the Orioles are playing at home, because that has turned into very much a pitcher's park, like one of the best pitcher's park there is with the way they move back the wall and everything. Um, they're interesting to me as streamers where they're not everyday players. You don't play them against the Yankees and the, the Blue Jays, which is unfortunate because that's your division. But when they're playing an, an out-of-division team at home, 
those are good streaming options. And also some relief pitchers like Jorge Lopez has been really good to start the season. Dylan Tate has been kind of interesting. So I, I would just say that you can find some value in the pitching. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of this. You can just kind of find, I don't want to say like scraps, but that's kind of what this is. And, and that's the beauty of it. It's not guys that are going to jump off the page or have a lot of trade value, but you can find pickups for a lot of these guys. How about the Kansas City Royals? They're only 9-18 and 18 at time of recording on the season. Who uh, is the, I guess, cheap beer for you on the Royals? Yeah, I, I think the entire team, you can almost make an argument, is, um, you know, Andrew Benetton, has been the standout, but I think some people value him higher than others. So to kind of go off the paper a little bit, uh, just from the pitching side of things, you know, they don't have a lot of great pitching, but if you're looking at the cheap beer kind of concept, how about Zach Greinke? Um, you know, he's not going to strike out anybody, but he's going to keep the ERA low. He'll probably give you quality starts in the process. Um, and so with that in mind, I think that that's somebody that can definitely offer it up. The whip isn't too high either. And he's available in almost half of leagues. A guy that even is available in more leagues that has put up better numbers uh, than Grinky is Brad Keller. Um, he may not even be a streaming option at this point. You may actually see him owned by a lot of teams if they're not in the Caper 9 league because ZRA is under three, his whip is under one, and he's already posted four quality starts. And I feel like Keller just kind of goes – under the radar constantly I, I fall victim to that because he doesn't have the most sexy numbers by any means one three on the year because the Royals don't win so yeah I think Keller can actually offer you decent value um, if you're trying to get those you know I guess the ERA and the whip down uh, that's a good guy to bring out there because he can kind of help you with you know padding your stats uh, keeping your ERA within you know a, a three ERA range uh, and he's not going to hurt your whip yeah, I like those a lot, um, and because of the fact that you are in the AL Central where you're going to have a lot of good matchups, those guys probably are ownable. It's just you don't start them every game, but you can you can have them on the roster. Edward Olivares kind of sticks out to me. He just went on the IL, so that's unfortunate. But I look at the Royals, and this has kind of been a, a bit of an organizational problem. They get too stuck with these guys and hang on a little too long. Like, they should have traded with Merrifield the past couple deadlines. Uh, they have, like, Ryan O'Hearn getting all these DH at-bats, even though they have MJ Melendez. And even when Edward Olivares was up, he wasn't getting, like, everyday at-bats, even though he was raking over the last week or two before he went on the IL. And, and he's a guy who has good kind of, like, minor league AAA numbers that I, I, I want to see what happens if he gets, like, everyday at-bats, which maybe he does when he comes back. I hope he does because I, I think there's some intriguing potential there that if he is getting everyday at-bats on kind of a bad team, like, he's going to put up solid totals for you. Think of, of kind of like an Adelise Garcia, maybe not as much speed, but that type of kind of player with, I think, a little bit higher ceiling for what his uh, average could be. And then Daniel Lynch, you're talking about a top prospect, 25 years old. He's been a little bit up and down this year, but he's gotten good swing and miss stuff uh, in, in the games that he has gotten going. And I think that this guy has a really high potential. Daniel Lynch is kind of somebody I'm more circling next year and the year after. I think he could be really good, one of those pitchers who kind of breaks out. But as far as this year, he's more of a matchup-dependent player. Uh, the Detroit Tigers are in the Royals division. I thought they would be a lot better than they are. They are 9-21 and this season. Where are you finding the value? Because this is one of the harder ones for me when you look at how much the lineup has struggled. Yeah, it's really difficult. And honestly, I mean, you can make the argument that, uh, you know, Austin Meadows is not a guy that you consider to be, you know, a cheap can of beer. You don't expect that from Javier Baez either. But 
really the only one that's even showing that they're hitting is Austin Meadows. Uh, I mean, the average is at the 293 mark right now, but he's not even slugging either. So are you really finding value anywhere in that lineup? Because I'm not. I'm going to go to the pitching side, and I would say uh, this is even just a stretch a little bit for me. But if you're in a holds league, at the very least, uh, you know, Michael Fulmer keeps his ERA pretty low. His whip is pretty low as well. He's not going to get a ton of strikeouts, but he'll get holds. Um, there's a chance that he may end up getting saves too, just in the chance that, you know, they don't have that deep of a bullpen either. Gregory Soto is their closer and, you know, he's looked okay this year, but it wouldn't be a shocker if somehow he has an implosion and then there's Fulmer that has to take over the saves, uh, kind of routes. He gets SPRP eligibility in Yahoo league. So I think just based off the fact that at least there's some versatility there, you know, Fulmer, maybe he's owned by 35% of teams and leagues. To me, that's cheap beer. That's that's accessible. Um, that's kind of where I go with that. Yeah, and this is probably a good time to mention this, that the guys we're talking about here, like a lot of them are, if you're in like a 10 or maybe even a 12-team league, a lot of these guys are more so, you know, stream, pick up for the right matchup, pick up if you need like this or that here or there. If you are in a deeper league, though, like if you're in a 14, 15, 16-team league or you're just in a league with, like, super huge rosters, then these guys become more addable or something like that. Uh, as far as the Tigers for me, Michael Pineda is kind of interesting because he has always had injury issues, but he, whenever he's in there, like, can put up solid numbers if you pick and choose the right matchups. He's been pretty good for them early on. The guy I'm keeping an eye on right now um, – and have a share of him in one fantasy league because he's kind of heating back up, is Jimer Candelario. And the biggest interest to me is, can you find guys who get playing time on these bad teams? Because a lot of the case of those guys, they're going to at least put up, like, good total numbers for you. They're going to get a lot of at-bats, and that is a lot of the fantasy game. And so Candelario, as much as he struggled to start the season, he's still second on the team in plate appearances, and he is starting to heat up a little bit, up to a 728 OPS over the last 15 days, up to a 765 OPS over the last seven days. If he can just get back to being just, again, like even if he's just a league average hitter, if his OPS is like 730, but he's playing every day and he's hitting toward the middle or top of the order, like that carries a, a solid amount of value in fantasy. Uh, and I guess Robbie Grossman might be kind of of the same ilk if, if that can happen for him. But right now it's uh, kind of bleak for Detroit. The Oakland A's are the next team up. They are 12 and 19 on the season. Yeah. The A's are one of those kind of light hitting teams that, you know, find ways to win sometimes, but you know, I think they kind of petered off over the last two weeks here. Uh, They actually had a winning record through the first two weeks of the season. When you look at just fantasy value purposes, offensively, you know, Sean Murphy is probably owned by a good portion of leagues just because the catcher position is not that deep. Um, I'm not even that high on him particularly. He does slug decently, but he can't seem to keep the average up. Sheldon Noisy has been interesting. He's now owned by more than half of leagues and Yahoo leagues, 55%. Um, His average has definitely shown up. His hit tool is decent, and he actually has some speed. Uh, Four stolen bases at the time of recording. So uh, kind of interesting to to monitor what he's doing there. Uh, The guy that I'm going to go with, though, and uh, pitching-wise, he's been so great, is I want to go to Blackburn. Paul Blackburn has been just phenomenal and he's owned by 60% of teams in Yahoo right now. And I feel like that number should be higher. Yeah. His strikeout K per nine is not particularly overwhelming at 7.55, but his ERA at one seven four, he has one quality start. That's it. But he also has four wins. He's at least staying games uh, through the fifth inning. He's going deep enough to where 
you know, you can at least get some value there in that win category. He has no losses on the year. He's actually looked really good. He's going to help out your whip as well at .87. Uh, the other guy that I'm just going to say keep an eye out for, back to the uh, lineup side of things, uh, I think Ramon Laureano, back from his suspension, um, you know, he started out slowly at 2 for 15, but um, I think that you're going to see his numbers slowly but surely kind of return back to what we saw prior to his suspension. And, you know, when Laureano's on, he could be actually a top 100 player. So this might be the time right now to go after him when he's rostered by 40% of teams. Um, that's another guy that I feel like just cheap beer purposes. I think that he's going to get that opportunity. Uh, so I, I love that Blackburn one. I think that's a good one when you're pitching in that park. It's a very good pitcher's park, and uh, you could have some favorable matchups there. I, I, I like the Sheldon Noisy one. He seems like a guy that we're going to look up at the end of the year and just by nature of, again, the playing time, like he, we're going to be like – he hit, I don't know, 240, 235 or something. He hits like 25, 30 home runs. And we're like, what the heck? Where did that come from? And I think there's some value there. The guy I'm going to go with, though, A.J. Puck, if you go look at his baseball savant page, it is littered with red. It looks like he spilled red wine all over the floor huh. uh, on a white carpet. 92nd in average exit velocity, 95th hard hit rate, 95th in XERA and XWOBA, uh, 87th percentile in expected batting average. Uh, I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on for A.J. Puck. I am kind of interested in what the future role is that they expect of him because he's had, I think, four different games this year where he's appeared for two full innings, and then he's had another one where he went an inning and a third. So, like, are they planning on using him as kind of the, the piggyback guy to an opener? Do they plan on using him as an opener long term? Do they plan on having him just be a multi-inning relief guy? Are they going to eventually stretch him out to be a starter? What I kind of hope happens with him, to be honest, because we know he's had all sorts of health issues, to try to help him stay healthy is not be a starter. And I look at Lou Trevino right now, the closer. He's got a 10-5 ERA with a 2-5 whip. That's not getting it done. When you look at what A.J. Puck has done to start this season, he's not getting really many holds. He's not getting saves. But I look at it by skills and say he should be the closer. And, and I think they're just trying to work him up to that because he is a young guy, because he has had the injury woes. But I would try to nab him now because you might end up with, who knows, like maybe the next Josh Hader with, with way more injury risk if that does pan out. Now, that is obviously like the, the highest potential of them all, so you don't bet on that. But like that is the possibility that could happen there. Uh, the next team up is the Washington Nationals. They are 10-21 and 21 on the season. Who sticks out to you besides Juan Soto? Yeah, uh, this is interesting. I would say Cesar Hernandez is the first one for me. Uh, he's in the top 10 right now in the league with hits. Uh, I believe he actually has technically the most at-bats in the league as well. So he's getting a lot of opportunity on top of that. Now, he's not slugging particularly well. So if you're trying to improve in the slugging category, he's not going to help you. He's probably only going to hurt you. Uh, however, from the average standpoint, he's doing just fine in that category. He's hitting over 280. Um, in my opinion, I think that he's a guy that if you just really need help at the hit tool position, he's going to give you a lot of hits. And so that helps considering he's at the top of the order. You know, he's hitting leading off for that lineup. And it's not a great lineup, but when you're leading off and you have one Soto hitting behind you, that's pretty helpful, I would say, to drive you in. So, um, yeah, I, I really like what he offers in, in that respect for the Nationals. I, I think overall, when you kind of scan the Nationals team, it, it is obviously not a very talented team across the board. There, there's not a lot of strength to this team. You have Josh Bell, who's been really, really phenomenal, but he's not a cheap beer. Um, Michael Franco is one that really stands out to me, though. Hitting for average, uh, he's not necessarily slugging, but he's getting on base at a decent rate. 
Yadiel Hernandez, too, has been playing incredibly well. He actually might be uh, the best hitter in that lineup outside of Bell and Soto. So uh, they've got a couple pieces there based off opportunity that I'm kind of intrigued by. I also will say this. Keep an eye out for Victor Robles. I, I don't know if he ever is going to be even marginally close to what we expected from him as a top prospect, but he's had some strings here early on. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's shown some signs of life. And with that in mind, you know, he's only at this time in Yahoo leagues rostered by 3% of teams. So maybe a guy just to pinpoint right now. Yeah, uh, I agree. Hernandez and Franco getting a lot of playing time. That helps out. My guy is Yadiel Hernandez. You look at the – he just raked in the minors. I mean, you're talking 292 in double A in 2017, 286 in 2018 with 18 home runs, 2019 in AAA hits 323 with 33 home runs uh, on the season. And then in, in AAA in, in 2021 in a limited time, he has a 920 OPS. He's an older guy. You think that, oh, okay, maybe he's – you know, is he – mid-20s did he just come up he's 34 years old so he is a veteran hitter at this point in time but I, I think he can be slept on a bit he's got kind of a, a very high floor for what I think his average could be now the power isn't great it looks good now 513 slug but if you look at just the ISO it's not overall great but he can be a guy who if he gets a lot of playing time the totals of the power numbers will be in line with maybe some other guys who aren't playing as much so I like Yadiel Hernandez there um, as well the Pittsburgh Pirates are 12 and 17. Yeah, they uh, they somehow beat the Dodgers, uh, and they didn't do it in really sexy style. Honestly, a lot of the ways they were able to win that series was based on defense, which in fantasy doesn't help you out at all. Um, just from the the Pirates' standpoint, I mean, there's two players that are basically ownable that most people, you know, more than eighty percent of leagues own. That's Key Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds, so they don't factor into this conversation. Uh, but you know who's interesting is Daniel Vogelbach. Um, in the final game of that series with the Dodgers, he hit an absolute moonshot uh, of a home run to right field. He has five home runs on the year. Uh, he's hitting 250 as well. He actually can drive in a few runs in the process too. Um, the real issue with Vogelbach is playtime. Uh, will he actually get a lot of it? Not, not necessarily a guarantee there. It seems like they kind of like to platoon him. Um, but with the way that he's been hitting, he may actually offer value that – uh, you kind of find similar to Rowdy Telez of the Brewers. Uh, you kind of – those two profile in the same way, not just because they're big bowling ball human beings, but because they kind of offer that same power and power-only value. And I, I can see a little bit of value moving forward uh, with Vogelbach in that respect. From the pitching side of things, it's interesting with the Pirates because they actually aren't absolutely terrible across the board. Uh, outside of Bednar, I, I really like Dylan Peters, the way that he's been pitching. Um, he's been pretty consistent overall, and at this time, uh, he's only 14% rostered. The only thing that I'm concerned about is, you know, he's only been going for three-plus innings uh, for the most part. So I don't know if they're going to, you know, eventually try to extend him. I think they should because they just don't have many options outside of him. Um, but in my opinion, I think that he's an okay piece uh, to maybe pick up. Believe it or not, Jose Quintana has actually looked very decent so far at the start of this year. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, he might find himself as a trade chip at the deadline if he keeps pitching the way he has. 270 ERA, a 120 whip. Um, he's gone 30 innings, struck out 25. Like Those are pretty decent numbers. He had a quality start against the Dodgers, uh, didn't allow a run. I mean, you know, from a streaming standpoint, you know, the Pirates are facing the Reds on May 15th. That actually is a decent stream 
Um, so yeah, he's as cheap of a beer as he comes. He's pretty much Keystone. Uh, doesn't mean Keystone can't do the job though. So I'm going to go with Will Crow out of the bullpen. He kind of changed up his pitching. He is most used pitch now is the changeup followed by the slider after he used the fastball the most, which he's throwing kind of in the mid-90s, 94, 95 miles per hour on the season. He does not give up hard contact. He's literally in the 100th percentile in hard hit rate against him. Again, it's kind of similar to A.J. Puck. You look at his profile, it's just littered with red on baseball savant. And I can't help but think, because, I mean, both David Bednar and Will Crow are going to be due up for arbitration next year. But if they trade David Bednar, who has probably a little more value attached to him at the deadline, then they'll probably pay less in arbitration, which I'm sure they care about uh, with being, you know, trying to keep the payroll down with Will Crow, because then if he's the closer the second half of the season, he'll accumulate less saves and, and then you won't have to pay him as much as you would for a full year of David Bednar. And he might just be straight up better than David Bednar. So Will Crow is one that I'm keeping my eye on, especially if they do end up dishing uh, David Bednar. Uh, the Chicago Cubs are 10 and 19 on the season. I think there's a lot of guys that stick out here. Yeah, there are. Um, if David Robinson somehow isn't owned in your league, and he's owned by 81%, but remember, going into the year, I think that number was more like 5% uh, before people found out that he was the true closer. Uh, jump on him before he's 100% owned because his numbers look really good. He's shutting down teams, even though he has COVID at the time of recording. You know, five saves, 17 Ks in 12 innings, ERA at 150. I mean, he's a great pickup right there. Um, I, I really do love the fact that, that the Cubs actually kind of have a guy. Um, the question may be, though, at the deadline, is he going to be a guy that's on the move? Kind of like what you mentioned with Bednar. It, it could be a similar situation. So he could lose some value towards the latter half of the season uh, with that in mind. So because of that, Michael Gibbons is another guy that uh, is potentially ownable. Um, I really like the value that he offers in that respect to probably be the next guy up if uh, Robins, Robertson definitely goes out. Um, I think that you'd see Givens getting the saves if he's not traded as well. It's really hard to predict some of this stuff just based off of how that looks. But uh, in my opinion, that's kind of a big part to that. The The rest of the pitching to me is not anything that's particularly sexy. It's uh, really ugly for the team so far this year. But offensively, there are a couple names to me that kind of stand out. Uh, the big one to me that, you know, is owned by 54% of teams is Patrick Wisdom. Um, Wisdom has – great home run potential. His slugging is at 457. He had 28 home runs last year. Uh, so he actually has that 30 home run potential and he's going to get the opportunity to hit cleanup almost every day in this lineup. So I really like that. Uh, the guy that I'm also intrigued by at this time is Alfonso Rivas. So they sent down uh, the guy that I was really high on, which is Frank Schwindel. He's actually been brought back up, but I don't think the opportunities are necessarily going to be there for him like they were last year. He's really, really struggling. And it seems like, at least from uh, you know the outside perspective, they're giving way to Rivas to get this opportunity ahead of Schwindel, um, especially because he's hitting right around 300. His on-base percentage, by the way, is nearly 400 at this time. Actually, it's over 400, which is really impressive. Uh, slugging's near 500. I, I think that Rivas could be a really underrated piece to pick up. Yeah, I like that one. Um, Patrick Wisdom is a nice uh, kind of cheap source of power that could be floating around in your league. He's going to get a lot of playing time and kind of ride the highs and lows with him. Uh, Nico Horner, if you're in a five-by-five five league, like if you're, if you're in an OBP league, forget what I'm saying here, but if you're in an average league, just having the 271 average playing a ton, he's going to steal you probably 10, 15 bases this season. Um, he's somebody really of interest. How about Drew Smiley? He's 
looked really good so far. And then another reliever that uh, uh, you didn't mention, Rowan Wick. And he kind of goes in line with Michael Gibbons. It's two guys who have good ERAs, bad whips, but good K per nine numbers. So both of those are kind of of interest, especially with whatever happens with David Robertson. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are 6-24, and 24, one of the worst teams that I've ever seen who sticks <laughs> out for the Reds. Yeah, the Reds are – I mean, if you could define the Reds as a beard, Eric, what would it be, first of all? I, I'm trying to think this through. I mean, what is the worst beer you've ever had? I mean, it'd be like if you took a 30-rack of Keystone Light and you said, you know, we need to water this down and we're <laughs> going to get empty cans and we're going to turn the 30-rack into 60 beers – and they're all going to be half Keystone, half water. That would be the Cincinnati Reds. That, I, I totally agree with that. If I had to give one brand, I think it would be Hams. Uh, I had Hams up north when we saw our friend J.D. pitch in Chicago. And Hams is they, – they were giving out free beer at the game, and now I understand why. It's because basically they weren't giving us – Is that legal? Uh, you know, there I think it was. Uh, it was to watch the Chicago Dogs. So – um, yeah, we got like free beer and, uh, that was, that was really the worst beer I think I've ever had in my life. It's, it's called hams. Anytime that you have a meat named beer that you already know there's a problem. So yeah, I think the reds are hams, but shockingly Brandon Drury is a guy that I own in fantasy. And I honestly had to do a double take for myself. I was thinking like, do I really pick this guy up? Um, he's been terrible for a good portion of his career. He hasn't had more than 15 home runs in a single season, but he's absolutely lighting up the stat chart right now. Uh, he's got six home runs at the time of recording. His on-base percentage is basically 350 at this point, and he's slugging 571. So that's uh, also pretty impressive. I-, I think that he's got value. Second base, third base, outfield eligibility. Uh, there's really good value there. And, uh, yeah, I-, I really am shocked because I never thought – if you had told me and showed me the roster that I had going into the season that I would be rostering Brandon Drury and possibly starting him, I would have probably thrown a ton of money at that saying you're totally wrong. But welcome to the 2022 dead ball era. So that, that's the guy on my, my the top of my head there. I think if you're looking at any other value across the board, you might see Mike Moustakis come back from really what has been a shocking drop-off. You know, he's always been consistently a guy that can hit 30 home runs. Uh, but you're starting to see him make steps in the right direction again. And uh, I'm not willing to count him out just yet from that standpoint. He's only owned by 7% of teams in Yahoo leagues at this time. Um, and from the pitching standpoint, I pretty much hate every single pitcher on that team that's not named Luis Castillo. So I, I'm not really touching any Reds pitchers. I uh, love the Drury one because he's the perfect bench player. You don't start him in your lineup every game, but you know because he has all those eligibility uh or eligible positions he can fill in a lot of spots for you and in addition to that you can basically say okay if he's playing at home in Cincinnati good hitters ballpark I can play him then if not then I don't need to play him so a perfect bench player to have in fantasy uh okay our shotgun six pack to finish things out here true or false the angels are a playoff team true they look really good uh there's teams that have magic I think the angels have the magic this year when Anthony Rendon hit a home run left-handed, that, that's just the storyline in the same game as a no-hitter uh, that a team is trending in the right direction. Mm, should he hit left-handed moving forward, he's OPS against lefties. Batting from the right side is over 900. His OPS this year against righties is under 600. So should he bat lefty the rest of the season? I think he should. I think he should try something different against right-handed pitching because clearly 
whatever's happening is not working. But yes, I, I do think that's true. I think the Angels are a playoff team, especially when you have the expanded wild cards right now. I would love uh, to see him hit lefty again. <laughs> George Kirby or Logan Gilbert, who you take in in a dynasty league? Man, Kirby looks really good. That initial start, hard not to buy him right now. I'm probably taking Kirby. He looks really good in the minor leagues. Gilbert looks great too. There's nothing against him, but that guy has number one ace-like stuff. Uh, Kirby is who I'm taking. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning Gilbert, but there is a part of me after seeing that first matchup where I'm like, could, could Gilbert be like the, to make a Giants reference, the Matt Cain, like the steady Eddie, really good, and maybe has a longer like peak of what his career is, but the highlight peak of George Kirby is like the Tim Linscomb. I don't know, maybe that's an overreaction because it's just been one start, but he looked really darn good. Uh, Wilson Contreras or Luke Voigt, dirtier play. So for Voigt, it was the slide uh, into home. For Wilson Contreras, it was the, uh, I don't know, crotch grab, I guess. Of yeah, it, it, was, it was Contreras. Uh, I don't know what the heck that was. It really has me concerned for him. Uh, I'm not going to comment much more than to say there was some serious grabbing there, and it made me feel very uncomfortable. Well, Max Muncy, I don't know. Maybe he could use whatever – anything to try to turn it around because uh, – He's really struggling right now. But, yeah, that was, that was just, like, weird. That, was, that just has me thinking of – there's a video of a guy at a UFC event yelling something about a guy in a fight. and that, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, sip, dump, chug among these L.A. youngster starting pitchers. Ryan Pepio, Bobby Miller, and Reed Detmers. I'm going to sip Detmers. I think that start was really indicative of the fact that he has put out stuff. I'm going to chug Bobby Miller. I still think that he has got the best potential moving forward. And I'll probably dump uh, Ryan Pepiot just in the sense that I think his control is going to be, you know, possibly his downfall. And I don't know if I trust him, even though his changeup looks really good. Yeah, I'm going to dump him because his name is weird to pronounce. But also, I agree. I think he could profile to being more of like a, a really good reliever because he's got some pretty good stuff, good, good strikeout stuff. But because of the walk uh, kind of issues, I, I think that could hold him back. I just – I don't know as much about Bobby Miller, but you're also talking about a first-round pick with the Dodgers, a team that develops their players really well. So I am kind of tempted to agree with you there and, and chug him because of the fact that, you know – so I'll just, I'll just agree with you there. Whereas Detmer is a really good pitcher, but I don't know if he has the ceiling. True or false, Justin Verlander will reach 300 career wins. Uh, true. He's on trajectory to do this, and he looks like he's back to his Cy Young ways, and I think he's pitching till he's 45. True, because I hope it happens. I agree. He pitches till he's 45. Favorite pitch type if it's a dominant pitch? Um, I, I would say – God, that's tough, man. I, I, a wipeout slider for me is just so fun to watch. Um, you know, you see all these great relievers out there. Blake Trinan's wipeout slider is my favorite when he's on. I'll say a good split finger pitch. You see it from Shohei Otani, Tim Linscombe in the past. David Cohn was really good at it. That's my favorite. So that's edition uh, number 54 for Booze and Baseball. He's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. See you next time.